Chapter 12 of A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 The Overland Advance to the California Border, 1521 to 1687. The general factors governing early California history, insofar as they bear upon European approaches by sea, have now been set forth in such detail that it is possible to condense the material of this kind for the period elapsing between the end of Vizcaino's efforts and the Portola expedition of 1769. The difficulties of getting a foothold through expeditions by sea have been illustrated by the experiences of Cortés, Rodriguez Cabrillo, Drake, Rodriguez Cermenjo, Vizcaino, and others. It is time, therefore, that more attention be paid to the problems of overland conquest toward the Californias, as they involve the principal element of success in the project of occupying the Californias, that of an advancing base of supplies. As has already been pointed out, the definitive occupation of Mexico City by Cortes in 1521 marked the establishment of a base of operations, whence the Spaniards were to proceed to the effective conquest of New Spain. The region between Mexico City and Panama was soon taken over, for both points served as bases, and the Indians were comparatively unwarlike. Distances were not great, and the continent was narrow and therefore easily overrun, though here, as elsewhere, the infiltration of Spanish civilization, as distinguished from mere dominance of the military and the religious, was a long and time-requiring process. To the north, the problems were infinitely greater. The land widened, and geographical barriers became more serious. The area was greater than the resources of Spain could hope to reduce. The Indians were less nearly civilized and more difficult to overcome. And the competition of the English, French, and Russians made itself more manifest. For a number of years after 1521, Spain showed small concern over the greatness of her task. She made conquests in the New World for the ready-made wealth she found there, and no distance was too great for her intrepid adventurers to go, if only there were a prospect of riches. This was the age, therefore, of the aggressive-aggressive, of conquests for the sake of what they would yield. From the time of Drake, in 1579, however, Spain began to show the caution and conservatism of the property owner. The adventurers had, in the main, settled down. They now had vast estates with Indians in servitude upon them, that is, encomiendas, and they procured financial returns by the slower means of mining, stock-raising, agriculture, and commerce, rather than by plunder. These men wanted security, and the government, which profited in the same ratio that they did, wanted it also. Off on the frontiers were men of the old stamp, the conquistadores, or conquerors, but they were held in leash, lest they endanger the settled wealth of the already subjected territories. Now and then, they were allowed to go ahead in pursuit of some definite and reasonably safe advantage, or to ward off a threatened peril. The long period of the aggressive defensive had begun, of occasional conquests, that is, the better to ensure what Spain already possessed. 
Northward expansion from Mexico City may be said to have followed three principal lines. Northwestward to Sonora and the Californias, up the central plateau through Nueva Vizcaya, about coextensive with the present-day states of Durango and Chihuahua, to New Mexico, and, similarly, but branching off to run through Coahuila into Texas. A fourth line, basing in early days on Tampico and later on Mexico City and Querétaro, ran to Nuevo León and Nuevo Santander, or Tamaulipas, and slightly into Texas. This was hardly so important as the others. It was the first of these routes that concerned itself more particularly with the history of California, but yet all four were closely related, so much so that the events along the eastern lines of advance had a vital connection with that which led to the Californias. All went ahead at relatively the same rate of progress, except the much shorter fourth movement. Military and exploring expeditions made side trips that crossed different lines of advance. All were related by the problem of Indian warfare, especially against the Apaches, who were wont to appear in all sections, often going from one to another according as resistance to their raids was strong or weak. All were threatened by foreign aggressions from the northeast, for the Colorado River of the west was believed to be the route making the western provinces almost as accessible to the French or English as those in the east. Some or all of the regions on the four lines of advance were at different times under the same political rule, or served as a field for the same body religious, or were part of the same diocese. Finally, all of these regions had much the same internal problems, political, economic, and social, and all were under the viceroy, or, in the latest period, under the commandant-general of the frontier provinces. Before proceeding to a consideration of northwestward advance, it is worthwhile to give an idea of the sweep of the other lines of conquest. Naturally, the line of advance through Nueva Vizcaya to New Mexico was most closely related, because nearest, to the movement through Sonora. The same Indian wars often affected both. The Jesuits were in western Nueva Vizcaya as well as in Sinaloa and Sonora until 1767. Sinaloa and Sonora were included in the government of Nueva Vizcaya until 1734, and formed part of the same diocese under the Bishop of Durango until 1779, when a bishopric was created for Sinaloa, Sonora, and the Californias. The first great name in the history of Nueva Vizcaya is that of Francisco de Ibarra, who set up a government there in the middle of the 16th century. By the end of that century, the line of settlement had reached southern Chihuahua, Next, there was a gap beyond which lay New Mexico, settled by Oñate expedition of 1598. By the close of the 17th century, the line of settlement had approached or reached the Rio Grande. For example, the presidios of Pasaje, Gallo, Conchos, Llanos, and Casas Grandes were already in existence. In the 18th century, there were many changes in presidial sites, the general movement being to suppress the more southerly presidios and establish new ones toward the Rio Grande. 
Similarly, the missions advanced, and the region behind them was gradually yielded over to the secular clergy. In 1767, according to statistics compiled by Bishop Tamaron, Nueva Vizcaya had a Christian population of 120,000, divided evenly between Chihuahua and Durango, its northern and southern divisions. But while Durango had 46,000 civilized people, there were but 23,000 in Chihuahua. Footnote. The term civilized people is used for what Spaniards called gente de razón, including those of white or mixed blood or even Negroes. In fine, all but the Indians were included. In footnote. Meanwhile, New Mexico had enjoyed great prosperity until 1680, when all was destroyed by an Indian revolt, and the land was not reconquered until over a decade later. By the end of the 18th century, there may have been 20,000 civilized people in the province and 10,000 Christian Indians. Along the Coahuila line, Aras and Saltillo in southern Coahuila were occupied by the end of the 16th century, although these two settlements were under the government of Nueva Vizcaya until 1785. Coahuila never enjoyed striking prosperity. By the close of the 17th century, Monclova was the most northerly presidio, while the missions had passed on to the Rio Grande. Early in the 18th century, the presidios reached that river. The total Christian population of Coahuila in 1780 was about 8,000, of whom 2,000 were Indians. The addition of Saltillo and Paras in 1785 doubled the population. The most interesting portion of this line was the Texas extremity. In the 16th century, there were voyages along the coast and overland incursions from New Mexico and even from Florida, but no settlements. Between 1685 and 1688, La Salle made a disastrous attempt to found a French colony on Matagora Bay. This incident, joined to tales of fabulous wealth in the land of the Tejas in eastern Texas, induced the Spaniards to send an expedition in 1689 under Governor Leon of Coahuila, which in the next few years led to the establishing of missions east of the Trinity. These failed, but on the renewal of French activities, this time from the Mobile District, several missions and a presidio were founded in eastern Texas in 1716. In 1718, establishments were made at San Antonio, and the Texas boundary was moved westward from the Trinity River to the San Antonio on the borders of Coahuila. In 1721, a presidio was placed near the coast at Espiritu Santo, and the eastern settlements, which had been destroyed by the French, were re-established and strengthened. Between 1745 and 1763, several new posts were founded, notably in northern Texas, but the northernmost of these, on the San Gabriel and San Saba rivers, were soon abandoned. By the cession of Louisiana to Spain in 1762, the French peril, the dominating note in Texas history up to that time, was removed, and the eastern settlements were given up. In a few years, however, many of the Spanish settlers returned to eastern Texas. In 1782, there were only 2,600 civilized people in Texas, and 460 Christian Indians. In 
The beginnings of Nuevo León date from its colonization by Carabajal late in the 16th century. Nothing else occurred that need be noted here until 1748, when Escandón, coming from Querétaro, achieved an almost bloodless conquest of Nuevo Santander. His work was remarkable for the number of settlements formed by him, rendering the conquest as thorough as it had been quick and peaceful. Unruly Indians were soon conquered or went elsewhere, and this part of the frontier enjoyed unusual prosperity. The first great conqueror, after Cortes, along the line leading northwestward to Primaria Alta, as the region beyond the Altar River was called, and the Californias, was Nuno de Guzman. In 1529, he set out from Mexico City with an army of 500 Spaniards and perhaps 10,000 native allies, and by 1531 had passed through Jalisco to Sinaloa, reducing the country along his line of march. At one stroke, over half the territory between Mexico City and Alta California had been traversed and made known to the Spaniards, and much of it remained definitively conquered. In 1540 came the great expedition of Vasquez de Coronado in search of the seven cities and the kingdom of Quivira, induced by the already mentioned wanderings of Alvar Núñez Cabeza de Vaca and the journey of exploration by Marcos de Niza. Vasquez led an army through Sonora to New Mexico and from there to Kansas, returning to New Spain in 1542. It was as a part of this expedition that Melchor Diaz marched through Sonora to the Colorado River. Indeed, he crossed that river and thereby entered the Californias, though several miles below the Alta California line, it would seem. Failing to find the party of Alarcón, which had come about to the same point by sea, the Diaz expedition returned. Great overland expeditions to the northwest, aside from the journeys of individuals, now ceased for over two centuries, though they continued periodically along the northward lines of advance to the east. One of these expeditions, that of Oñate, who conquered New Mexico in 1598, had ramifications which took it to the Colorado River. This occurred in 1604-1605, when Oñate marched westward along Bill Williams Fork to the Colorado, and descended the latter to its mouth, after which he returned to New Mexico. With the expedition of Oñate to the mouth of the Colorado, the age of the conquistadores along the northwestward line of advance may be said to have closed. Cortés, Guzmán, Vázquez, and Oñate had led expeditions which made a permanent conquest of large areas and developed a preliminary knowledge of nearly the whole field subsequently occupied, though Oñate's principal achievements were more directly in line with the advance through Nueva Vizcaya to New Mexico. These men were followed, perhaps in the wake of other expeditions of lesser note or sometimes preceding them, by soldiers, missionaries, and civilians, all of Spanish blood, in part at least. The majority of the civilians were miners, though a number were also engaged in stock-raising and other pursuits characteristic of frontier life. This was a second phase of the conquest. Eventually, in a portion of the field, there came a third phase, when settled orderly government appeared, the military and the religious moved on, 
the secular clergy replaced the regular and civilians entered in greater numbers and engaged in a greater variety of occupations than before this was the final stage when the particular region ceased to partake of the attributes of a frontier province in all three stages the spanish elements were a very small minority but provided the ruling class the mass of the people was from first to last indian some of the indians resisted the spaniards and were driven away or killed but usually they submitted to their conquerors and though strictly ruled and virtually enslaved were permitted to remain it is pertinent at this point to inquire into the precise services rendered by the three great spanish elements in the conquest the military the religious and the civilians of the three perhaps the most vitally essential element was the military for without its aid neither of the other elements could proceed very far even though the two latter contributed most to the eventual pacification and settled development of a region the number of soldiers was always small but their presence in the first and second stages of conquest was a sine qua non of the spanish occupation their expeditions into the unoccupied territory whether for punitive objects or for purposes of exploration were the most important preliminaries of the conquest even in the frequent journeys of missionaries into the interior soldiers were usually taken along as a more or less indispensable escort once occupation of a region had taken place a presidial force of forty or fifty men was a sufficient garrison for a wide area so superior were they in fighting equipment and military methods to the native however brave the indians might be a mission guard of from one to five or six soldiers also served to keep hundreds of mission indians or even a thousand in check while without this military support the missions could not be sustained to a certain extent too the military contributed to the economic development through the great presidial stock farms but these were in no small degree more a hindrance than a help indian trouble too often became an asset of the presidial capitalist who might thereby rid himself of the competition of civilian rivals while utilizing the troops to protect his own stock second only to the military as an agency in the subjection of the indians and much more prominent as a constructive social and economic factor were the religious and the missionary orders franciscans dominicans and jesuits were the orders which had a share in northwestward advance in the conversion of the californians but for nearly two centuries the jesuits were by far the most important neither the missionary orders nor the secular arm of the church acted on their own initiative for the church in the americas was almost as completely subordinate to the king of spain as the military were by the institution known as the patronato real or the royal patronage the king had received from the papacy the entire secular administration of the church in the american colonies it was the king or his subdelegates who appointed church dignitaries and lesser functionaries from archbishop down to priest or friar made provisions for their salaries built their churches approved or ordered their policies and paid the score the missionary was a direct royal agent not a mission could be founded or a missionary go to the frontier without the assent of the royal authorities 
and indeed the religious were sometimes thrust into an enterprise as for example the occupation of alta california of which more later against their pronounced objections usually however missionary zeal outran the royal will for their employment for missionaries and missions involved expenditures and the government was none too lavish with its funds unless it could see a likelihood of advantageous returns naturally the patronato real did not include a right to intervene in the realm of the spiritual but there was little else which the popes reserved the missionaries accompanied the troops in the first two stages of the conquest they went with them on their military expeditions or even preceded them into new territory on journeys of exploration though as already stated they were usually attended by a small escort of soldiers the principal functions of the religious however came in the second stage of the conquest through the institution of the mission the mission system employed by the spaniards was much the same in all their dominions in alta california at a later time as elsewhere being subject to the same laws and the same body of officials the principal objects as stated by the laws were to convert the natives and lift them out of their savagery and barbarism to a state of civilization these were indeed the primary objects of the missionaries themselves but they were secondary to other factors in the attention of the royal government the mission was an effective support of the troops in keeping the indians of a particular region in subjection and in this way contributed through the security it gave to the protection of the royal domain from other indians and from foreigners beyond the frontier thus it assisted in actual conquests and much more cheaply than the soldiers necessary to take their place would have cost ultimately too the indians would become a source of profit to the crowd for those who had submitted to spanish authority were required by law to pay an annual tribute though this was remitted for the indians still in missions a mission was founded through a process of voluntary conversion by gathering the indians of a community or limited region into a reduction reduccion or mission village no spaniards other than the missionaries the mission guard and an occasional civilian official could stop at the mission or reside there persuasion usually to the accompaniment of gifts of food clothing and tobacco or trinkets which appealed to the childlike fancy of the natives was generally employed to induce acceptance by the indians of the mission idea once they entered the mission however there was no legal escape for them until such time as the royal government should give them their release and emancipation meant taxation in the shape of the annual tribute the salaries of missionaries and a certain initial sum were provided at state expense besides military protection but the mission was supposed to procure all else that it needed by means of its own industry or through the gifts of pious individuals usually there were two religious at a mission and a corporal at the head of four or five soldiers but at times a single missionary and fewer troops were employed beyond the limits of the mission proper but within a day or two's journey at the farthest there were pueblos de visita villages of visit or visitas where the missionaries went occasionally to perform religious services in the visitas there was a representative of the missionary in the person of the indian master of doctrine but in other respects 
the Visita Indians retained their liberty. On the other hand, they did not share in economic benefits such as the receipt of tobacco, food, and clothing to the same extent as the Indians of the mission. Except for a certain amount of independence on the part of the military escort, which, however, was in most respect under the orders of the religious, the missionaries were like absolute monarchs in their narrow realm, subject only to their superiors in the religious and political hierarchy, they were the spiritual and political and even economic masters of the mission. In theory, the mission belonged to the Indians who owned it in common, but it was administered under the direction of the missionaries whose word was law. The Indians, indeed, elected their own petty political officers, but the missionaries, in fact, decided for whom they should vote. There could be no question but that the missionaries were devoted to the welfare of the Indian, but it seemed to them necessary, if his soul were to be saved and his intelligence quickened, that his body should first be enslaved. The spiritual training of the Indians resolved itself into learning the catechism and the vocabulary, or outward forms and ceremonies, of religious services. It was hardly possible for his undeveloped mind to grasp the philosophical tenets of the Christian faith. Services were frequently held, perhaps two masses a day on weekdays and more on Sundays, at all of which attendance was compulsory. The Indian was also required to work. The men tended flocks or engaged in agriculture, while the women and children were taught weaving and spinning. Indeed, there was an extraordinary variety of tasks performed, for the missions were intended to be economically self-sustaining. Not infrequently, they produced a surplus which might be applied to assist more backward missions. Discipline was strict and severe. Native officials inflicted whippings or other penalties upon the recalcitrant by order of the missionaries, but the more serious offenses were turned over for punishment to the corporal of the guard. Unaccustomed either to working or to submission to discipline, the Indians often endeavored to run away, but they were pursued and brought back. To lessen the opportunity of escape, walls were constructed around the mission, and the Indians were locked up at night. All in all, the institution of the Spanish mission was one of the most interesting examples of benevolent despotism that human history records. By law, a mission was supposed to endure for a period of not longer than ten years, but in practice the term was much longer, even a century or more. In fact, the end of mission rule depended more upon civilian colonization of a region than upon the instruction afforded in the mission. When a region had filled up with whites sufficiently to be safe for the crown, the mission might be dispensed with. The objects of the missionaries, benevolent though they were, were foredoomed to failure, for the Indians were rarely capable of absorbing civilization in any real sense of the term. Indeed, the close of mission rule usually saw the Indian revert to his former state if he were not killed off by the white man. The missions at least prolonged the lives of many of the Indians. Its real importance, however, was as an agency of Spanish conquest. In this respect, its effects were permanent. Footnote. The best presentation of the mission system in brief scope ever written is that of Herbert E. Bolton. The Mission as a Frontier Institution in the Spanish-American Colonies, 
in american historical review twenty three in footnote the civilian whites including as white all elements of the gente de razón began to make themselves felt in the second stage of the conquest and no conquest was complete until they had taken it over in the third stage as the controlling element the history of their activities while a given region was still in a frontier state has never been adequately presented or even much studied most that we know of them has been derived from the works of the religious who were primarily concerned with their own achievements and not interested in the civilian element except as they found occasion to pronounce against them footnote much information should result from a perusal of official correspondence which is available in stupendous quantity in the archives of spain and spanish america the best materials however such as the letters and business records of private individuals have probably nearly all of them disappeared in footnote unquestionably the most important of the civilians along the northwestward line of conquest were the miners indeed the route of the conquerors followed that of the mineral wealth and precious metals these men generally did the work by means of indian labor in a state of virtual slavery traders stock raisers and farmers came in to some extent but the two latter were at a disadvantage for they had to meet the competition of presidial and mission ranches as already stated the civilians took entire possession when it became time for the military and the religious to move on with the civilian element should be included the secular church with its hierarchy of officialdom ranging from the archbishop or bishop down to the curate or priest the secular church entered a region only in the third stage of conquest and sometimes rather late at that when this arm of the church arrived it was time for the soldier missionary and civilian pioneer to depart indeed the friars were often obliged to serve as curates after the mission had disappeared before the secular church came on the scene the crucial stage of the conquest then was the second and this was the period when the greatest variety of widely differing elements came into play these elements to be sure were controlled by the same fountainhead the king acting through his council of the indies and the viceroy but they were rarely able to work together in entire harmony in particular the military and the civilians were constantly disputing with the religious questions of jurisdiction and relative authority were always to the fore as between the military and the religious political rule was invariably given in the charge of the former but in some respects the missionaries were not subject to them the civilians were opposed to the religious on economic grounds the missionaries had been first on the scene and had therefore had the first pick of the lands the civilians wanted the mission lands and the indian labor upon them arguments frequently turned on other matters than those which were in fact uppermost in the minds of the parties to the conflict the civilians for example accused the religious of ill-treating the indians and of retaining the missions much longer than was necessary as for the indians who were after all the persons most vitally concerned the restraints and punishments of the mission were indeed irksome to them wherefore many with their minds on the objectionable thing nearest at hand supplied evidence to the civilians perhaps the majority realized however 
that their lot under civilian control would be far worse and it is no doubt true that a great many were devoted to the missionaries and content with mission life to which in the course of time they became accustomed it is to be borne in mind that the general conditions of what has been termed here the second stage of the spanish conquests applied in the case of alta california under spain and mexico just as it did to nueva galicia the name of guzman's conquests and sinaloa and sonora in the period under review coming now to the details the age of the conquistadores along the northwestward line was quickly over and the work of conquest in its second and third phases came steadily to the fore guzman founded a settlement as far north as culiacan sinaloa in fifteen thirty one by fifteen fifty an audiencia for the government of nueva galicia was established but this was located for a time at compostela but soon afterward moved to guadalajara lopez de velasca writing between fifteen seventy one and fifteen seventy four said there were as many as fifteen hundred spaniards in nueva galicia which at that time included most of new spain north of mexico city there were thirty-one or thirty-two settlements of which fifteen or sixteen were mining camps guadalajara was the largest town with a spanish population of one hundred and fifty the only settlement in what later became sinaloa was culiacan with about thirty spaniards there were no spaniards in sonora an increase in the population of sinaloa came in fifteen ninety six when the presidio of san felipe de sinaloa the first in that province was established with a garrison of twenty-five men meanwhile the franciscans dominicans and jesuits had been making converts so that the region south of sinaloa had become christian nominally at least by the end of the sixteenth century and after some feudal revolts it was definitely reduced to the spanish crown the erection of a bishopric in michoacan in fifteen thirty seven may be regarded as a first step in the third phase of the conquest so despite the scant white population of nueva galicia that part of it lying south of sinaloa was fast losing the characteristics of a frontier province up to fifteen ninety one not many conversions had been made in sinaloa but in that year the jesuits reached there and the real work began father zabata's report of sixteen seventy eight shows that by that time sinaloa had been thoroughly reduced the province had been christianized and had a white population of six hundred in addition there were many more of part spanish blood at san felipe de sinaloa alone there were twelve hundred of spanish or mixed blood these missionaries and civilians were supported by two presidios fuerte de montesclaros having been added in sixteen ten the occupation of sonora did not begin until early in the seventeenth century with the successful military campaigns of diego martinez hurdaide paving the way the jesuits took charge of the mission work and made rapid progress by sixteen seventy eight there were twenty-eight missions in sonora serving twenty-two villages with a combined population of about forty thousand there were perhaps five hundred people of spanish or part spanish blood a large proportion of them engaged in mining thus by the end of the seventeenth century sinaloa had attained to the comparative freedom from frontier characteristics that the region to the south of it had reached a hundred years before 
the latter was now definitely off the frontier sonora however was in the midst of the second stage of conquest and had such problems in the shape of hostile indians that its early emergence into a settled state could not be expected indeed events were to prove that it was much more than a century behind sinaloa in this respect by the close of the seventeenth century the conquest had been carried almost to the limits of modern sonora by way of the sonora valley this route led the spaniards somewhat inland leaving a large stretch of coast to the south and west as yet unoccupied in this district were the seri indians destined to cause trouble during the greater part of the eighteenth century northeast of the sonora valley was a little-known region whence was to come an even more terrible enemy the savage apaches due to the hostility of these two peoples sonora was fated to remain a frontier province until near the close of the seventeenth century another district of sonora offering less difficulties than the other two though by no means an easy field for conquest lay open this was the region between the altair and the gila rivers known as primeria alta beyond which to the northwest was alta california in sixteen eighty seven father eusebio quino of the jesuit order crossed the altair river and founded the mission of dolores this marked the first step in the last stage of the conquest toward the californias but the difficulties in the way of this further advance were perhaps greater than any which had yet been faced end of chapter twelve